Today's scripture reading is going to be in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Will you please stand for the reading of the Lord's Word? A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding a spirit of counsel and, a, and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide, what by, or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness will the sash around his waist. This is the word of the Lord. Turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and let the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom, and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come to your word, to come to a book of the Bible that is so often misunderstood or overlooked. God, I pray that we would come to your word humbly today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn much for what for you tell us in the book of Proverbs that to learn is wise. Lord, I pray that you would humble us before your text, that you would humble me before your text. Pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in this message. In your name, amen. This week, I struggled greatly. I've told some of you about this, but this has been a very hard, difficult week in sermon preparation world. Uh, I've never preached the book of Proverbs before. Um, I've read it many times, uh, but how to preach it is a, quite a different task. And I've struggled uh, this week. I've read hundreds of pages in commentaries and, and, and in other books and resources. And I was even sitting yesterday at men's breakfast thinking, what in the world am I going to preach tomorrow? I've done all this research and all this study. What am I going to do? I want to tell you, that the book of Proverbs is going to be very difficult to study. 
but its difficulty is because it is such a needed message today. It's going to be hard for us to hear. It's going to be uh, um, challenging for us to hear. Not just because of the words that are spoken, but because of what it's going to do in our lives. Um, I'm praying through this passage. I'm praying through the book of Proverbs, and it is such a challenge. It really is a huge challenge, and it's, it's, uh, it shows just how foolish I am. It will show each of us just how foolish we are. So I want you to know as we go through this study, most of my research, most of my time, most of what I give to you is because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. This is not because Justin is some great Bible teacher. It's because I've read people who are great Bible teachers. It's because I've studied under people who are great Bible teachers. It's because I'm submitting myself to God's word, and that is it. So I want you guys to know that and understand that especially helpful for me in my study has been Jonathan Aiken's work on the book of Proverbs. In fact, much of this message comes either directly or indirectly from his work. It's been very very helpful. If you want to look into Jonathan Aiken and his work on the book of Proverbs, it's, it's awesome. Um, so then the question then starts off, why study Proverbs? Why should we study Proverbs? Why, what is that going to do? How is that going to help us? So the, um, we, we maybe up here, this is the outline for the book of Proverbs. If you want to write this down, we'll cover this in just a bit. But why study the book of Proverbs? It's because people desperately want to win at life. If you think about our world and the world we live in, people desperately want to live to win at life. They want to succeed in everyday life. And Christians are no different. They search frantically for tips from books, from experts or talk show hosts or in magazines. The problem is that many Christians look everywhere but the Bible to learn how to win at parenting finances, marriage, the workplace, and other areas of life. They look to Dr. Phil or Oprah or Dear Abby or a number of other TV personalities and authors. If you look to Dr. Phil for life's answers, you're in trouble. Even Christians who want a Christian perspective on these topics are more likely to look to a Christian book than to the book the Bible. So often we don't want the word. Instead, we want practical tips and strategies that have been plucked from the world. Sure, we believe the Bible is God's word and we believe that it's authoritative, but we somehow buy into the misconception that it doesn't do a great job addressing the nitty gritty details of our lives. So Christians will do no more than skim the Bible devotionally to get some helpful tips for their day. Rather than being formed by God's word, many Christians find their worldview fashioned by the philosophies of the world. However, the problem doesn't stop there. The problem is that even if we do look to the book, even if we do somehow pull out some tips for how to live a better life. More often than not, we don't follow what we already know. Oftentimes we know what to do, but we can't bring ourselves to do it. Think of how often we mess up. Think of the hurtful words you said to a friend 
or to your spouse or to your parents. Think of the times you've said more than you should say. Think of the times you spoke too quickly and couldn't get your words back. Think about the time someone confronted you with something you needed to hear and in anger you blew them off with, who do you think you are? Think about the times you should have lovingly confronted someone, but you didn't. Think about the person whose feelings you hurt. Think about the lie you desperately hope your parents won't find out or your boyfriend won't find out or your wife won't find out. Think about those things you keep hidden from your parents. Think about the time you screamed, I hate you, to your mother. Think about that secret you just couldn't keep to yourself. And in a moment of supposed confidential privacy, you whispered in someone's ear, did you hear what happened to so on and so forth? Think about the times you've bragged about yourself so that others would think that you're something. Think about the mistakes you've made with your children. Think about the times you didn't discipline a behavior that has now gotten out of hand. Think about the times your children saw you do something you had told them not to or heard you say something you told them not to say. Think about the grudge you've held and refused to let go because someone really hurt you. Think about the times you've been stingy with your money instead of generous to a person with a real need. Think about the frivolous spending that got you in trouble. Think about the get-rich-quick scheme that ruined you. Think about the times you didn't finish your job assignment on time because you got sidetracked by Facebook. Think about the time you're jealous, you were, you're, you're jealous of, of someone because they got the promotion that passed you by. Think about the times you've nagged or ignored helping your spouse. Think about how you repeat the same stupid mistakes over and over and never learn from it. On and on and on we could go. What does all this tell us? It tells us that we have a major problem that no amount of tips will solve. It tells us that we are not wise and that we are often foolish. It tells us that we are broken and don't work right. It tells us that we are in desperate need of wisdom to make decisions and navigate our way through life, but we can't just say that we need wisdom and then go after it. Since we are broken, we don't even follow the wisdom we already know. We do things we know are hurtful and foolish. We just can't help ourselves. The Bible says that at creation, there is perfect harmony between people and God between people themselves and between people and the world around them. There is an order to things. Human sin, the fall, broke all of that because, God sought, because people sought knowledge and wisdom apart from God in Genesis chapter 3. That messed everything up. Once a man's vertical relationship with God was out of whack, so were his horizontal relationships with other people and the world around him. Are we really surprised that the first murder comes only one chapter after the fall? Because of sin, there are barriers now between us and God, between us and others, between us and the world around us. We no longer rightly perceive 
the way the world works. We no longer recognize the order. So we can't navigate through daily life. God created the world with an order to work in a certain way, and we must live according to that to be truly wise. But in our brokenness, we don't see it. Proverbs is all about restoring that harmony through Jesus Christ. Proverbs is about becoming wise in everyday life through a relationship with Jesus, through the gospel. It's about the life of the kingdom that God always meant for humankind to live. When our vertical relationship with God is right through Jesus, we can be right with others and the world around us. Today, as we open up God's word, as we open up this, this uh, verses one through seven here, we're going to see two major questions that are going to frame how we're going to walk through this passage today. First off is what is wisdom? And the second uh, question we're going to ask is how do we get wisdom? And at first, let's introduce the book. Let's kind of get to know the book of Proverbs. Uh, chapters one through nine in the book of Proverbs really forms the introduction to the book think that's a long introduction yep preachers are pretty good about that too aren't they right uh, so chapters one through nine are the introduction to the book and then chapter uh chapter one one through seven what we're going to look at today is really the introduction to the introduction um uh, the, the the proverbs proper the short memorable sayings that we think of uh they don't begin until chapter 10 uh, chapter 1 through 9 then shows us how to interpret them. As we see in verse 1, the main author is Solomon. There are other authors in the book of Proverbs, but the primary author is Solomon. In 1 Kings 3, Solomon was granted a wish. The Lord said, hey Solomon, I'm going to give you anything you want. And what did he ask for? Wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 4, we read a little bit about what, the, what happened. What happened to Solomon? How did this go? You know, right? he, he was granted wisdom by the Lord. We should expect some pretty great things. We hear some great things that were said about Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 30, it says this. It says, So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all, the pe- all of the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men. Skip down a bit, it says, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that's in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon was a very wise man. And here we have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is is divided in this way you see on the screen here. Chapters 1 through 9 form the introduction. If you read the book of Proverbs, these divisions are actually very natural to the text. The text tells you when these divisions take place. Uh, Solomon's Proverbs begin in chapter 10 and go all the way through chapter 22, verse 16. Then chapter 22, verse 17 through chapter 24, and verse 22 are sayings of the wise. 
Chapter 4 has further sayings of the wise from chapter 24, 23 to verse 34. Then chapter 25 begins with Solomon's Proverbs that were, that were collected by Hezekiah's men in chapters 25 through 29. We have the sayings of Agur in chapter 3, and we have the sayings of Lemuel in chapter 31. Now here in the introduction of the introduction, Solomon explains to us what wisdom is. So we ask the question then, what is wisdom? First of all, wisdom is royal. Look at verse 1. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Solomon, we saw, requests wisdom in, in, in 1 Kings 3, verse 9. He asked for wisdom so that he might have the ability to rule well as the king of Israel. That's what he tells the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, personified wisdom tells us, it is by me that kings reign and rulers enact just law. By me, princes lead, as do nobles and all righteous judges. So right off the bat, wisdom is connected in Proverbs with kingship, but also connected with the Messiah. Notice this. Solomon says, the, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is given a promise that his son would have an eternal throne. We know from Scripture that that wasn't Solomon, nor was it any of his kids. The ultimate fulfillment of that, pro of that passage in 2 Samuel 7 is Christ. Christ is the ultimate son of David. As we read in Isaiah chapter 11, we heard about a son of David who is a wise king. That chapter in, in Isaiah chapter 11, it's the root from the stump of Jesse. It is Christ. So where there is a wise king, the people are wise. But as we see throughout Israel's history, there is a, where there is a foolish king, the people are also fools. Jesus is the wise king that we need in order to be wise. Proverbs is laying out how God's people, citizens of his kingdom, should live and what the wise king, King Jesus, will produce in them. One day, Scripture tells us we will rule and reign with Christ. So right now, we are training to be wise rulers. But what is wisdom besides the necessary means to rule? We see, secondly, that wisdom is correction and understanding. In verse 2, it says, To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. Wisdom is the kind of knowledge that helps you to know what is going on around you. Are you able to read situations and people correctly? If not, Scripture says that you need discipline. This requires the humility to recognize that you don't know everything and to receive counsel from another. How do you respond to correction or teaching or a counsel? That has a lot to do with whether or not you are wise. The know-it-all is not as wise as he thinks. The Bible says that he is a fool. In other words, correction and discipline here in the text entails a discipleship type relationship 
where you can be warned about going in the wrong direction, rebuked when needed, corrected to go in a different way or to think differently, and punished if you do not listen. Do you have any relationships in your life right now where someone can correct you? Do you have any relationship in your life where someone can call you to account and say, what do you think you're doing? We all need pastors or parents or brothers and sisters in Christ who can correct us. That's wisdom. Third, we see that wisdom is knowledge of good and evil. Verse 3 says, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Wisdom by its very nature is ethical. Wisdom is by its very nature ethical. Wisdom is not a high IQ. It's not age. It's the knowledge of good and evil. A wise person can tell the difference between right and wrong in the situations in which they find themselves. The problem is that we think of wisdom and foolishness as morally neutral, as if One's not bad or good, they're just, you know, maybe uh, uh, not as good as the other option, right? Even some pastors will sometimes say that being wise or foolish is not about right and wrong so much as best and not best. For example, we might take this as an illustration. A couple of years ago, I had a little bit of a loss of temper, you might say, uh, uh, at our our home, and and I lost my cool and I punched a hole in a wall, right? Right? Would you think that's foolish? Very stupid, right? Very stupid. What would it be? Could it be the case then? We may, we may think of that and say, well, that was stupid, but not necessarily a sin. I mean, hey, you know, you were having a tough day, whatever. We don't know what happened. You punched a hole in the wall, so what, right? You know, maybe it wasn't a sin. Absolutely not. That action was foolish, and therefore it was sin. Adam and Eve saw that the fruit on the forbidden tree was able to make one wise. They sought wisdom apart from God and his word. That is foolishness. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6 says that wisdom comes from the mouth of God, so we must always submit to the word of God and not what we think is right. In the book of Judges, the people did what was right in their own eyes. And it caused chaos and confusion. The chaos and confusion today has the same exact source. When people do what is right in their own eyes, when we merely try to do what we think is best, our lives become a chaotic mess. Instead, we must submit to wisdom, the knowledge of good and evil. We must go to God's word for our day-to-day decisions, God is deeply concerned about the nitty-gritty details of our lives and every minute decision that we make. Each of those decisions are worship decisions. Proverbs will show us how to properly honor and worship God. Next, we see that wisdom is discernment. Look at verse 4. It says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Wisdom is the ability to read the situation and make the right decision. That's the point of the book. Solomon wants to give this discernment to the inexperienced and the youth. As we'll see, Proverbs gives categories of people. It talks about the inexperienced, 
the mocking person, the foolish person, the wise person, and so on and so forth. Inexperienced people are not wise or foolish yet. Instead, they are open to instruction in wisdom or in folly. They are gullible and usually believe the most recent thing they have heard. They are easily enticed or persuaded. This is the audience that Solomon is going after because there is still hope for them. Inexperience and youthfulness often go hand in hand, and that is why Solomon is so concerned in this book, as is Moses in Deuteronomy 6, with parents teaching their children what is right and wrong. Proverbs tells those of us who are parents and grandparents that it is our task to instruct our children in wisdom. Those who are young and those who are inexperienced need to acquire the ability to perceive what's going on, make the right decision, and avoid the bad ones. Last, we see that wisdom is also obtaining guidance. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. This is interesting. Who's the audience of these two verses? The wise person is the audience of these two verses. It says, To the wise. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands to obtain guidance. Isn't that odd? If a person is wise, why do they need guidance? Right? That seems a little backwards. We might think, I'm wise. I don't need the guidance. What are you talking about? Right? I've already arrived. Solomon says that to believe you have arrived in wisdom is a foolish outlook on life. The truly wise will have the humility to know that they still need to listen to counsel instead of having the arrogance to think that they have arrived. The wise recognize that no one graduates. We all need the wisdom of Proverbs again and again throughout our lives. Wisdom is not a goal. It's a pursuit. There's never an ending place in our gaining of wisdom. It is a continual pursuit that will last the rest of our lives. The exact same way that humility is the same kind of pursuit. So Solomon has laid out this multifaceted nature of wisdom. Wisdom is being corrected and it's discipline. Wisdom understands and reads situations. Wisdom is godly morality. Wisdom is justice. Wisdom is discretion and discernment of right and wrong, stupid and smart, what path to take and which to avoid. Wisdom is listening to instruction and receiving guidance. But now that we know what wisdom is, the question remains, how can we get it? It's our second question today. How do we get wisdom? Not only does Solomon tell us that wisdom is moral, but he also tells us it is religious or spiritual in nature, because it is only through a relationship with the Lord that one can be wise. Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not getting older, not experiencing life, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's religious in nature. The fear of or reverence for Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise 
wisdom and discipline, the second half of the verse tells us. But the wise person is the one who fears, trusts, and reverences Yahweh. This is the first step and the essential component in gaining wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs is quite clear that the way to get wisdom is to depend on God rather than on yourself. If you look at verses three, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, you'll see that. The everyday nitty-gritty details of your life are to be lived in fear of God. There's no sacred or secular divide in your life. We so often think that going to church or, or missions, prof, uh, missions projects or our quiet times, those are the godly things we do in life. Other things like our work, our kids' baseball teams, or how we spend our money are the secular or neutral part of our lives. Solomon completely destroys that idea. The everyday decisions that we make reveal whether or not we fear the Lord. God is concerned with your whole life. The everyday decisions we make are indicators of whether we fear him or not. How we eat dinner. How we finish tasks that are assigned to us. How we spend our money. How we parent our children. How we respond to our parents. All of those things are before the Lord. Every nook and cranny of your life is called by the book of Proverbs to be governed by God. Now, we all view the world in a certain way, through a certain lens. We call it a worldview. However, the fall of humankind into sin has assured us that we do not see the world rightly. As an analogy, think of someone who may be colorblind. Are they able to see the world as it actually is? No. They can't see colors correctly, therefore they cannot see the world as it actually exists. The same is true that because of our sin, we cannot see the world as it actually exists. We will observe the world through, uh, if, if we were, uh, observe the world the way, uh, through the lens that God has given in fear of him, then we can start perceiving how things really are. And once we start living according to that pattern, it's only then that we can walk in wisdom. The only way to be wise is to trust in the Lord and be in the right relationship with him. Wisdom comes from Yahweh. So we are taught in the Bible to ask him for it in James chapter 1. According to Proverbs, this wisdom is filtered through receiving instruction from a human mediator like a sage or a parent. You'll see throughout the book of Proverbs, my son, do this, my son, do this, hear sayings of the wise. In our context, that might mean maybe a parent or a godly and wise friend, a Bible teacher, or even a pastor. Fools are arrogant, Proverbs 1.7 tells us, and they refuse correction. It says at the very end of verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools are worse than the inexperienced because they aren't open to changing their minds. This means that really, really smart people can actually be fools. The question we all need to ask ourselves is, what category am I in? Am I the one who's open to the instruction of the Lord? Am I the one who is humble enough to seek counsel? Or am I a know-it-all? Am I a person who always thinks I'm right? 
Foolishness is doing what is right in your own eyes instead of what God has revealed. Disney tells us to follow our hearts. But the Bible says those who are left to themselves and to their hearts will choose the wrong path every time. Following our heart is foolish because we are broken people. Doing what is right in our own eyes is a recipe for disaster. Just read the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and the result, again, was chaos. We need a loving and wise king who can rule over us. Proverbs reveals that Solomon is training a son of David to do just that. And in the fullness of time, we see that his name is Jesus of Nazareth. You see, Solomon fails to live out the wisdom that he even wrote here in the book of Proverbs. And so does his son, King Rehoboam, who shows his foolishness by listening to his peers rather than the elders of Israel. But Isaiah 11, as we read this morning, promises that the Messiah will be the embodiment of the book of Proverbs. In fact, he is described with the words of wisdom, with the words of Proverbs. If you look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, it says, just as we've already seen here, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And when Jesus of Nazareth bursts into the scene, he grows in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. We see that in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. In Matthew 12, he is called greater than Solomon. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see he is called the wisdom of God for us. And Colossians 2, 3 says of him, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Getting wisdom is important because it will help you make decisions in everyday life. It will help you win at life. By failing to get, but failing to get wisdom will wreck your life. The problem for all of us is that we have failed repeatedly because even when we know what to do, we often don't do it. This reveals our brokenness. So where do we turn? What's the answer for us? How can we become wise when we are so broken and can't even know what is right? What if wisdom wasn't a concept or an idea or a set of ideas that you had to learn at all? What if wisdom was a person that you could know and have a relationship with? What if wisdom was a person that you could love and walk with? And just by knowing, loving, and walking with this person, it would actually make you wise. What if wisdom was a person who spoke to you? And by listening to wisdom's voice, you could actually grow in wisdom. Proverbs will teach us that wisdom is not an Israelite dear Abby. It's not a bunch of tips that you learn to live out. Wisdom is a person, Jesus of Nazareth. Through a relationship with him, you can be reconciled to God, to others, and to the world around you. Through a relationship with him, he will begin to produce in you the wisdom he lives out, the wisdom of Proverbs. As we go into our invitation today, 
Maybe there's something that God's already showing you. An area where there is foolishness in your heart. So there's an opportunity to respond right now and say, Lord, I want wisdom. I seek wisdom. Every one of us in this room should have that same prayer that, Lord, we seek wisdom. But the truth of the matter is, unless you have a relationship with King Jesus, you cannot be wise. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't walk away from the book of Proverbs and say, oh, cool, I know how to do things now. It just doesn't, you cannot. The the book of Proverbs will mean nothing to you unless you have a relationship with Jesus. The book of Proverbs is not a self-help book. The book of Proverbs shows us how to be in relationship with Jesus, how every single nook and cranny, every detail of your lives matters to the Lord. And that it is only through a relationship with him that we can have any kind of wisdom. I pray for you guys as we go through this book. I would encourage every one of you, pick it up and read it. Read it from that perspective. A few months ago, I started praying through the book of Proverbs with that in mind that wisdom is a person, not tips. It radically changed the way I read the book of Proverbs. It's radically changed the way I respond to wisdom, the way I think of wisdom. I would encourage you to do the same. As you read through or pray through the book of Proverbs, remember that every time it is giving you, this is the wise way to live. It is, this is the right way to respond to Jesus. That's what wisdom is telling us. That's what the book of Proverbs is showing us. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know him as your savior, you don't have that relationship with him, you can have that relationship with him. I'd love to share with you how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus and that you have a relationship with wisdom. Let me pray for you as we close today.